Well, I grew up in a wonderful, wonderful church. And it was a busy church. You think our announcements today were busy? Let me tell you about the schedule I grew up under. Uh, We had Sunday school, then Sunday morning's church service. So that was a good four to five hour block that morning. Then we had Sunday afternoon prayer before the Sunday night service. Then Monday, there was discipleship that I went to. Tuesday was drama practice. Drama was really big in the church, and yeah, I was in some of those skits too. Uh, Wednesday was church again. And if I really think hard enough, I'm sure there were things happening on Thursday and Friday. I had activities, and I loved it all. I loved church then, and I love church now. And I think it's great when people are busy and active in the Lord's work. But even though that was a positive atmosphere for my life, like anything, there was a pushback. Because for everything that's positive, you know, there is a reaction to that. And here was the part that was maybe a little challenging. Is that we were so busy. We were at church so much that our life with Christ rarely intersected with culture itself. Our our life was so compartmentalized. We, We were so busy at the church that we weren't really able to be the church to the community. Occasionally, uh, the, the topic of church or faith would come up in everyday life. And when that happened, uh, we were prepared to, to give, to give a, a message of hope. But mostly, I spent time with the people in my church, doing church activities, enjoying church services. And, and the life of the church became very disconnected from culture. And the problem with that is we became a separate subculture. Not not because of anybody's fault, but just by the nature of the beast, the nature of the organization. Because things got so busy and so active. And a couple of times a year, um, this, this inward kind of focused community would focus outward and do like maybe a big event here or there. But then quickly, it would go back to to a very busy, scheduled, program-based pace. So why I appreciate that, I think there's a real challenge because we can easily forget what our purpose for existing is. That's why today I want to share again CIO Global and specifically the church and its mission. We need to be reminded on a regular basis why the church exists and what the mission is. Why the church has been commissioned by God and what we're supposed to do. So if you're following your notes today, that's the title of this talk. It'll be there in you version. And to understand the origins of the church, I want to take you to where the word church was first used. And it was first used by the founder of the church, which is Jesus Christ. Is that... That's not a big surprise. He's the one who has started this whole thing. And now, man, we've messed it up along the way. But Jesus started this whole thing, and he started it right. And he started it good. And when you think about the word church, it brings up dozens of different definitions. I, I, would, I would suggest that if I, if I asked you, what is the church? All of you would have a different definition. And those definitions wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but they would be very subjective. They would be very much your preference. Some of you would say, well, the church is an evangelistic tool to reach the world. 
Others of you would say the church is a community to be separate from the world. Others of you would, would say, well, the church is a place to, 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 to have worship services. And others of you would say the church is a place to engage in mission. So there's a lots of different definitions. None of them are wrong. But let's just go back to the original definition. Let's go back to the roots. And I'd like to start in Matthew chapter 16. And it's a beautiful passage where Peter had realized who the, the Messiah was. Had realized that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and one of the most remarkable Remarkable stories in the Bible. In fact, it starts out with, it lets us know that the personal conversion of an individual is what God has based his church on. That that the Spirit of God gave Peter revelation. And Jesus says these words to Peter in Matthew 16, starting with verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And that's the first place the word church came. Now, the, the, mean, the, the Greek word for this church is ecclesia. And in fact, you might have heard us talk about ecclesiastical things, church things. And, and the word church is a really complex definition. It means the gathering, the assembly, the gathering. I'm going, Jesus said this, you are Peter, and, and on this rock, which he's not talking about Peter specifically. He's talking about personal conversion. Upon this concept of personal revelation and conversion... Of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build my people. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to get my people together. And we're going to come together. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, what we call hell here, the word is Hades here, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, here's, here's the thing. The gates were defensive positions. Gates were not established to attack gates were established to defend and hades or hell represents all that's dark all that's wicked all that is opposed to the will of god and jesus said i'm going to build my gathering i'm going to get my people together and the gates the defenses of hell shall not prevail against it going over to verse 19 it says i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Our God trusts us. Our God loves us. Our God's chosen us. He could have represented himself to the world in any other way. But he chose this thing called the gathering, the assembly, the church. And as Bob was referencing this basketball coach that was burned by the church. What a story. I know that's your story for many of you out there. That the organizational church and the power of man and the the influence of the corruption that can come in whenever the politics of church begins to raise its ugly head. It stings. It bites. It hurts. But at the end of all of that hurt... It's still the plan of God. It's still the hope of the world that he says, I'm going to represent who I am through the gathering, through flawed people, through people who aren't perfect, people who don't have it together, people who have been forgiven but are still being conformed to the image of God. And that force, that renegade group, that gathering is going to attack the gates of hell. The gates of hell won't beat it. So that's why I do what I do. Okay, that, that's why I'm a pastor here. That's why I believe in the local church. 
I believe the local church is the most powerful force on this planet. It's more powerful than any government of man. It's more powerful than any army of man because we do something about that which really matters, the kingdom of darkness. And fruit in the kingdom is always attached to the local church. Parachurch organizations, they can't survive without the church. So the local church is the heart of God and what he's representing in the world. So now, I want to suggest a couple of things. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple of disclaimers. Sometimes in order to understand who you are, you've got to understand who you're not. You have to understand, this is who I am. And what, what helps me understand who I am is who I am not. Now, you have a little chart on the review and it's going to be up on the screen. I wasn't able to figure out how to put it on you version. So uh, just bear with me. And let's go to black slide and then go back to that. That's not your fault. But there we go. That'll help. All right. We, we have two categories here. It's so easy as we begin to take ownership of a church. And we've been members two years or five years. Or now we call covenant partners. Uh, we have people in the 102 class right now moving towards covenant partnership. Uh, we begin to think, this is my church, and this is our church. I, I want to remind you of something. This church doesn't belong to anybody. doesn't belong to anybody in this room. doesn't belong to anybody on this stage. I, I try to correct myself on a regular basis when I'm talking about this congregation, and, and I naturally will say, well, my church does this. Well, this is not my church. Uh, this is, I'm a steward of this church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. And it's not your church. It's not my church. It's not even our church. It's his church. It's his gathering and it's his people. Now, here's a chart that helps us understand the difference. When it's our church, it's about me. And unfortunately, that's what most American Christians look at church about. How's it meeting my needs? And how's it meeting uh, my preferences? Now, I will say this. I'm not one that thinks that we shouldn't have any evaluation of that. There is something uh, about a church that's a fit for you culturally. And it's a fit for you spiritually. And so I'm not saying that that's never a consideration. I mean, at times, you need, you, often you need to, to see, does this thing fit? Does this feel right? Does this feel like this is where the Spirit's led me? But over time, uh, the problem is, is when uh, we're getting a new fit every six months, and we're probably not in the will of God. I'll say we aren't in the will of God. Uh, there, there comes a time of evaluation, but after that evaluation, we have to move from me to us. And from us to all. That's what CIL4 is about. Moving from you to us to all of us. When it's the church is about, when it's our church, it's about me. When it's Jesus' church, it's about others. When it's my church, it's about the insiders. When it's Jesus' church, it's about the outsiders. When it's our church, it's about tradition and maintaining tradition. And I'm going to suggest to you that most churches only have about a 40-year life cycle. So most of the times we're maintaining tradition. We're just maintaining death. There are some good traditions, like uh, good traditions like the stuff from the Bible. That's a good tradition. But a lot of stuff is just man holding on to their power. And when it's our church, we're holding on to our tradition. When it's Jesus' church, we, there's a faith dynamic. And it's what is he speaking in the moment. When it's our church, it's about becoming a club. See, when you're a member, you think you have rights. Membership has its privileges. But when it's Jesus' church, it's about being a servant. How can I give? How can I give more? I thank God that our leadership board members, they're involved in children's ministry. They're involved in service ministry. Our elders are, are here both services. They're here 
all the time. They are giving things you can't see because they are serving first. They're not here to be served. They're here to be served. It's, our church is about being a consumer. What am I going to get from it? When it's Jesus' church, it's about being a minister. When it's our church, we're a sect. We're the separate thing. And when it's Jesus' church, we're missionaries. So there it is. There it is. There is the difference between our church and Jesus' church. How many want to be part of Jesus' church? Yeah? I, I, want to be part of, I don't want to be part of my church. I want to be part of his church. So here's the first misconception. That the church primarily exists for my needs. And that, that, that's a misconception we've got to push back. Uh, this is not necessarily your fault. This is the fault of us pastors. Because uh, we've catered to meeting the needs of the constituents. We need to meet the needs of the lost. But there comes a time when you need to give instead of just always receiving. You receive from the Lord, but you serve and you give. The misconception is that, that the church primarily exists for my needs. Now, I said primarily because you do have needs. I don't want to discount that. I want you to grow. I want you to be in worship. I want you to, uh, I want those, I want you to be in community with people. I want you to five years from now and ten years from now say, because I've been in the church at Indian Lake, I love God more. I love people more. So I don't want to discount your growth. I'm just saying that's not the primary reason for our existence. That's not the primary reason that we exist. We exist to know his love and to share his love. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 4, uh, pushes back against the, the attitude of individualism the humanistic attitude of individualism that we've been trained in our culture to, to it permeates everything we do. It says it this way, for as in one body, we have many members and the members don't all have the same function. So we, and I love this line, that's why I underlined it, though many are one body in Christ. Isn't that not beautiful? Because we're, we are many. There, there, there's lots of us with different different gifts and different values. But in Christ, we're one. That's why it's the power of coming to church at the same time. I mean, we, we have a church service at 9 and at 1045. Because if we just had church anytime we want to come on Sunday, it wouldn't be quite as powerful. But we're here together. And we're singing the same lyrics together. And we're hearing the same message together. And there's power in that because it symbolizes we're one. In a few minutes, we're going to take the bread and take the cup. And we... We take the cup and bread symbolizing we're one. We're many, but we're one. And so it is that the church doesn't primarily exist for me. In 1989, there was a movie that, I guess if you're over the age of 40, you'll remember, called Field of Dreams. Kevin Costner played a, a kind of an amateur farmer who was in Iowa, and he heard a voice that said, If you build, he will come. Specifically talking about his father. And so he had this crazy idea and he cleared out a cornfield and he built this baseball stadium. And I guess ghosts showed up and, and now that's an American classic film. More than it being a classic film, it's a phrase that's now stuck in our psyche. If we build, they will come. And that's a misconception in the local church. That if we build it, they will come. The idea is... If our music is so slick and, and our performance and we get all the things down and we've got a really skinny, good looking pastor, <laughs> then the whole world's going to come. And so we put everything on our service and sometimes everything on even the pastor, like, like he, he's some kind of 
lone ranger who can just come and solve all the problems. Because we just build a great church service, they'll come. Or we think if we just build great facilities, they'll come. I mean, we, we want to have the best facilities as if we had crown molding. If we lift up the crown molding, it will draw all men unto the Lord. So we put a lot of hope in buildings and facilities. Or sometimes we put a lot of hope in the concept of revival. That if our churches get so hot and powerful during the church services on the church campus, then the whole world's going to come to the church. And that certainly happened in our history in the first great awakening and the second great awakening and, and smaller, smaller waves. And I would love to see it happen again. I would argue that in that time, in the, in the late 1700s and in the late 1800s and even some of the revivals of the 20th century, it was a Christian-oriented uh, nation. So when revival happened, people that didn't have TV to watch and movie theaters to go to, let's go to the church and see what the ruckus is all about. It's not going to happen that way, I don't imagine anymore. Love to see it happen that way. I would. Think it would be great if the church services were so, uh, so powerful that it's just going to draw people in. And we think that. And, and, and we think that it's just us having great stuff here that's going to bring it. If we build, they will come. Well, can I suggest another phrase I think is better? If we build, we will go. If we build, we will go. Matthew 28, 19, which is Jesus' command to us. He says it this, Matthew 28, 19. He says, go. Do you know what the Greek meaning of the word go is? Go. <laughs> go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, that word nations, I've told you this before, but you need to hear it again. It's not talking about the nation state. It's not talking about necessarily German or Germany or Italy or Japan. It's talking about ethnos, people groups. And there are hundreds of unreached people groups in the world, and yes, now in America too. Go to those people. Go to the unreached people groups. Go to places and to people groups who haven't heard the name of the Lord. Go. And so this is what happens. If we build, if we build, then we'll go. If we build a great children's ministry, then we're going to send those children someday to unreached people groups. If we build a great youth ministry then our teenagers will want to go. If we build great services in here that exalt the name of Jesus, that lets the presence of God manifest, that teaches the word of God, then you and I will go and we'll go to our friends and we'll go to our neighbors and we will go. If we build, we will go. But we don't just build and hope they will come. That's a misconception that just doesn't work. I love this next one. A misconception is that our services are more important than our service. When we get so caught up in our services instead of our service to the community. You know, the fact that we don't do traditionally Sunday night services anymore and Wednesday night attendance is really, really dismal now in our culture. Maybe God wants us to replace that with serving the community and serving people. And giving. So it's not about services here. Getting here. Maybe the extra time component should be us serving the community. A misconception about our church is when our church services is what the church is. 
How's your church doing? Let's just give one metric. Sunday morning attendance. How's the church doing? I like the pastor. How's the church doing? Uh, I like the new worship leader. How's the church doing? It's all about Sunday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday morning. What about this? How's the church doing? Oh, we're tutoring kids who don't have, uh, don't, don't have the, don't, are not making the marks in fourth grade at the local elementary school. Wouldn't that be a great thing? How's the church doing? We're partnering with First Wesleyan Church in downtown Nashville every Thursday night that are feeding the homeless and the poor, giving them a church service and sending them home with groceries. How, how's the church doing? Well, we, we are concerned about Isaiah 58-7 ministry of Hendersonville Samaritan Center that on the last Monday of the month feeds those in Hendersonville who need a meal to help them get to the next check. That's, that's the heart of God. I want great services, but I want our service to be greater than our services. I want our heart to be God's heart. That we're, we're knowing his love here, but we're sharing his love. We're coming here, but simultaneously, we're going somewhere else. I heard a story. Well, I saw this happen, but then I heard what really happened at a local high school basketball game here in the county. There was a young man, good player, but he hardly ever got to play all season long. He was a sophomore. And this high school that I won't name, it's one of the three your kids go to, uh, they were losing, and the coach was very frustrated, and there was 40 seconds left to go in the game, and there was no way they can win. So he looked down, and he looked at his bench, and he he pointed to the young man who hadn't played all season, and and he said, Joe, whatever his name was, said, Joe, get in the game. And this kid, in all his 15-year-old wisdom, just reacted and said, Why, coach? There's only 40 seconds left in the game. Now, that is the wrong thing to tell your coach if you ever have any, any hope of ever playing basketball again. And this coach went ballistic. I mean, it just, it just hit every, you know, every hot button uh, in his attitude and his heart. And, and the attitude was, hey, why does it matter? There's just 40 seconds left. It's just a blowout game. You know, that's the attitude, that wrong attitude we have towards church. It's just the church. That's it. That's our fourth thing. It's just, the, it's just the church. That's it. It's only the church. It's no big deal. It's only the church. And, you know, we'll let Aaron and Matt and Chip and Doug and D-Rob, they'll, they'll take care of it. The Watsons will take care of it. They come to everything anyway. It's just the church, Right? What, what does it really matter? Let me tell you something. Everything matters in the local church. Everything matters. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more important you can do in your life than helping a local church be what God calls it, called it to be. And the enemy wants to minimize that in your life. The enemy wants to distract that in your life. The enemy wants to make you think it's only the church. The church is corrupt. The church is no good. It's no big deal. I've done my time. They don't, use, they don't spend the money right anyway. It's just the church. It's just the church. No, it's not just the church. It is the hope of the world. It is the one thing God said, I'm gathering my people. I am gathering my church. I'm gathering a bunch of weak, sinful people. And the gates of hell, the defenses of hell, won't be able to resist what I'm going to do in my church. I'm going to mobilize my people. I'm going to put them on mission. I'm going to cause the army of the Lord to rise up and they're going to begin to attack darkness because that's what we're called to do, not just to defend. 
Not just to to hunker down until he comes. We're called to advance. We're called to spread the good works of the Lord on this earth and on this planet. And we're going to push back evil. And we're going to push back darkness. And we're going to push back injustice. And we're going to push back sin. And it's going to happen because of you. It's going to happen because of you and me getting on mission together with God. Let me tell you two last things before we get ready for commitment. Excuse me, communion, which is commitment. Here here are the two things that I want you to understand about God is that God is on a mission. God is on a mission. He's very, very clear about that. And and we could give you volumes and volumes of scripture to support this. But it in uh, Matthew, excuse me, John, excuse me, Luke. I knew it was three of the one of the gospels. I got there finally. Luke chapter nineteen. Luke chapter nineteen, verse ten says this. For the Son of Man, who is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Seek and save means just that. To mobilize, to go, to look out for the lost. To seek and to save the lost. God is on mission. That's the heart of God. He loves the world. God loves the world and he's called the world to go. He's called the church to go to the world, to go to the nations, the ethnos, the unreached people groups. And we have to do it together. That's the great thing about community. You know, this would feel overwhelming if the burden of reaching those outside of God's family just fell on me. I couldn't bear it. I really couldn't. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough bandwidth in my schedule. I I can't do it by myself, but... I can be part of a church. I can do that. I can be part of a gathering. I can, I, I can do it with you. I mean, if you do your job and someone else does their job and I use my gift, man, we, we can go somewhere. We, we can push back evil. See, it's not about accumulation. It's about advancement. It's about changing people's lives. It's about making the light of Christ brighter in this world that's dark. And God's on a mission. And God wants to seek and save the lost. And it's not his will that any would perish. He wants everyone to come to know him. And he wants those who come to know him to come to know him more. And to love him better. And to reflect his glory. And to be his people. So if God's on a mission, here's the last thing I want to tell you today. Is he's invited us to join his mission. Because in his sovereign will and his power, he has chosen you and I. And we're it, guys. We're it. He's put us here for such a time as this. 2013, Middle Tennessee. You live here for this reason. You live here for this purpose. I I thank God for the occupation you have and the job you have. Thank God for his provision. I thank God that you're involved in your community. And I love the fact you guys are coaching uh, ball games and you're out mowing the yard and you're doing all the important things. You're being good dads and you're being good moms and you're being good neighbors. All of that is part of his plan. But if we do all of that and forget and forget that there's purpose behind that, there's a mission behind that. Everything we do is for his glory. Everything we do is joining him in his plan. Everything we do is so that his name would be known more. And so that this world we live in, until he comes and asserts his rule and reign, will become a better place, reflecting his glory, uh, lifting up his character, making his name famous, making his name known, making his values preeminent. That is why we're here. Would you put Matthew 6, 18 up again? It says it this way. 
Matthew 6, 18. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We are the prevailing church. We are the victorious church. And we will conquer and we will go to new territory for him. And Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville and Castilian Springs and Sumner County and North Nashville will be a better place because we exist. We will not ignore the social needs. We will not ignore the political needs. We will not ignore the educational needs. We will not ignore the health care needs. We We will engage. We will get involved. We won't simply say we're here and we hope they'll come. We'll come here to know his love and then we'll share his love also. That's why this church exists. That's why I want to pastor this church. That's why I believe the cause is so big that unless we start praying, it will never happen. It will just be hyperbole. It will just be a good speech with no teeth behind it. God's called us to pray. He's called us to go. He's called us to engage. The enemy wants you to to think this is not for you. If you hear my voice, this is for you. If you're a teenager, if you're what the world calls a senior citizen, which means a wiser citizen, this is for you. You have a new role. I just want to tell you, some of you, do not minimize your role to fund the kingdom of God. I just want to say that. Don't think, you know, sometimes pastors will say, well, we'll we'll make it sound like money is not an issue. Some of you, God has strategically positioned you to fund new work in the kingdom of God. He's given you the ability uh, to to make new finances, to to make lots of finances. And that's not a bad thing. The Lord wants you to know that's a good thing. Uh, Some of you don't have money right now, but you got time and you got energy and you've got opportunity and you have youth. And I say, press in, press in, step into it. Don't minimize what you have today. You have an opportunity today. All of us, no matter what phase of life we're in, we have an opportunity. If you're, if you're middle age, which someone told me the other day, I'm middle age now. So 37, I'm middle age. The kid was 25 when he told me that. But if you're middle age, we have, we don't have as much disposable time. And perhaps for some of us, not as much disposable income, but we have access to people that like in a way we'll never have access to them before. Access to teenagers, access to children, access to their parents. We can be relationally rich. We can be full of his spirit, full of his love and make a huge impact. But you got to believe this thing matters. I mean, this matters. The local church, the local church makes a difference. And what's happening here? Your your very presence here on a Sunday morning makes a difference. I mean, just showing up makes a difference. And then as you engage in ministry, God, God will use you. I heard a story years ago that there was this uh, hotline for one of the the companies that sells turkeys. I don't know if it was the Butterball Turkey Company or Armor or whatever the case is. And they they had this 1-800 number people could call in to ask questions. And this lady called in and said, I have a question for you. Uh, I was digging through my freezer and at the bottom of the freezer, I found a, a turkey that is years past its, its date for use, but it's been frozen all these years. And the lady asked and said, is this turkey still good? And so the customer service rep on the other end said, well, ma'am, um, the, the turkey is probably safe to eat, but because it's been so many years past the date posted, it's probably not going to taste really good. It's not going to be fresh. The texture is not going to be right. So if you use it, it might not meet your expectations. 
And the lady responded, well, that's okay, because I can give it to the church. Now, that has been an attitude, an attitude we've had towards God's bride and towards his church. Let the church get the leftovers. Let the church get the leftovers. We'll, we'll, we'll paint a wall in our house a lot quicker than we'll paint a wall in God's house. We'll make sure our lawn is mowed, but we'll, we'll, we'll let the weeds grow up all around the church. Now, that I can use that illustration around here because you guys have the yard looking good. So that's a safe example. We'll give God's house our leftover time. Hey, if things work out and if the stars align, if there's no sports game and nothing's good on TV and it's not raining or it's not too hot or it's not too cold and if everything's perfect, we'll go to church this month. God gets our leftover time. He gets our leftover money. He gets our leftover energy. Let's talk about that. I mean, we'll give our best for our job and for everything else, but not our best in service to the kingdom. I just want to remind you, we exist for the world, guys. We don't exist just for you. We don't just exist just to be a nice club. We exist because the destiny of billions of people are on the line because of what happens at this campus and in this organization. God has chosen to use the local church. I want to invite our ushers to prepare communion today. I wanted to share with you God's vision for the church. This is God's vision for the church. That's why I tried to use scripture. If you're visiting with us from another church, this, is, this message applies to your church, wherever that church is, because it's all his church. And he is the original one. He is the originator that says, I, being Jesus, am going to build my local church. And everything you invest in the local church, there, there will be a payoff. When you stand before the Lord and you stand before him, you won't regret one bit of investment that you've invested in the local church, whether it be through time, with your money, with your prayers, with your support of leadership, with your participation. And please, please know that participation has a high value. You know that as a speaker, as Beth, as a worship leader, when you just show up, we're encouraged. You know, it lets us know that there are people in this world that believe that Jesus is alive. There's people in this world who care about his mission.